everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and this year marks the 10th anniversary. In fact, last Thursday marks the 10th anniversary of Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Directed by Edgar Wright and starring Michael Sarah and Mary Elizabeth Winstead, among many, many others. Uh, this movie is a fantastic combination of video game and superhero genres and something that I'm really excited to talk about with you guys. Uh, and most of it is just going to be me gushing about the film, which brings us to a very interesting introduction. I have a weird relationship with this movie because at the time that it came out, I was in college and everyone was talking about this movie. And what's funny is even after I wrote up this script, I uh, went on Wikipedia to see, you know, okay, is there anything that I'm missing? Is there any other things that I need to touch on? And I didn't even realize that this movie did not do well at the box office. I had no idea. I did not see this movie in theaters. Um, again, we'll get into the why in a little bit, but the budget for this film was $85 million and it at the box office only made $48 million, uh, which is, uh, crazy to me, even especially now and looking back, but you know what, this is one of those movies where, uh, over time it has garnered a much larger following than it did for reasons like what I'm about to explain. Um, I don't think I ever properly saw the movie, even at the time. It's very possible that I, I may have watched bits and pieces of it on a DVD at one point, uh, but I honestly at the time thought the movie was overrated, which is crazy to think about now, 10 years later. And I don't even know why at the time. Maybe it was because certain cool people were talking about it, and I thought, oh, I want to be different. I have no, I literally have no idea. But one summer, a few years after it came out, I actually got to see the movie essentially for the first time as a summer movie on the rocks at Red Rocks here in Colorado. They were doing a summer sort of festival where I think it was every week they would be showing another movie that you could come and see. It would be projected on this giant screen while you sat in the Red Rocks. Scott Pilgrim was one of them. I think it was a $10 ticket, and I was like, yes, I, I'm going to check this out. And I think I went with some friends from work at the time. But uh, I remember even at that point while I was watching it on this big screen thinking to myself why is this movie overrated like why did i think this movie was overrated because it is so good and now watching it again years later i have solidified that opinion i love this movie absolutely love it for so many reasons and even more so now that I realize that it didn't even do well at the box office. It's, it's crazy. It's, again, one of those films where people did not appreciate the, uh, I don't even know what the word would be, but just the magical aspect of this film. Uh, again, directed by Edgar Wright. You may know him and, and probably do know him from this movie, from the three, is it called the Three Cornettos trilogy, which is uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End. He also did, uh, was he technically was going to do Ant-Man, but uh, is only credited, I believe, as a, as a writer on Ant-Man. And then he also did Baby Driver. And there may be a couple of other movies that I'm missing. I'm going off the top of my head, but all of those movies I just told you are movies that I love as well. So I'm a huge, huge Edgar Wright fan. And this to me is, is the perfect Edgar Wright movie. As I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, you know, is this a, uh, a video game movie or is this a comic book movie? And lo and behold, and I won't, I won't spoil, I'm not going to spoil it, but you can go on Wikipedia yourselves and look at the, there's an analyzation section actually for this 
this film. And they were talking about how it so seamlessly blends those two genres. You've got all of the video game fights, the uh, but then you also have comic book stuff too, like the onomatopoeia of sound effects coming on the screen and uh, kind of like drawings and, and random, totally random things that happen that just make this movie so, so good. Um, the humor is very much my style, so I find it incredibly hilarious. Michael Sarah kills it playing Scott as a sort of neurotic uh, 20-something slacker. And uh, there are so many cameos and stars in this film, many of whom went on to even bigger superhero fame, like Chris Evans, Brie Larson, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Brandon Routh. Uh, Not only are the performances spot on from everyone involved, the movie truly feels like a comic book. All the sound effects put to text and lines, everything is hyper-stylized in the best way. All that's to say that after this viewing, I have so much respect for this movie, and I wish I hadn't been so weird towards it in the past. Uh, So with that said, let's dive into the film. Uh, You know you're in for a treat when the opening universal crawl is an 8-bit sound. And like I said, this whole movie plays like a video game in the coolest, most Edgar Wright way. Uh, The dialogue in this movie, as in many of his films, is super quick. reminded me of a more new-age version of Sunset Boulevard, which is uh, interesting since that was the movie we talked about last week, uh, with, you know, quick jokes and quips. The movie opens with Scott finding a new girlfriend who is still in high school. And again, this movie's a classic, and I know I know a lot of you have probably seen it. I'm going to be spoiling some things in this film, but I'm also going to be jumping around quite a bit because the thing I want to call out here is not only my favorite scenes, but also a lot of quotes. So I'm going to be doing a lot of dialogue in here as well. Uh, but it opens up with Scott finding a new girlfriend who is still in high school, a young girl named Knives Chow, who is uh, Chinese. And they're very quick to point that out in multiple cases. I know they're doing it as a joke, but I was like, ah. I don't know. There's a there's a couple bits uh, where I was like, ah, it's bordering on possibly being racist. But um, I mean, it's it was. I'm not going to defend the movie. That's not my job. Uh, but his friends are in a band with him, and they find out that she's coming over, and they're like, ah, dude, is she going to be geeking out? And he's like, geeking out? What do you mean? Like, is she going to be geeking out? Well, she has the capacity to geek. Uh, which I thought was hilarious. And we soon find out that she does because she becomes obsessed with the band. Uh, Then the opening credits start, and it is more of that stylized comic book where sound waves are coming out of the instruments they play. Their band's name is Sex Bob Om, like sex bomb, but it's three different words. And honestly, that's like one of the only things in the movie that I don't like. Every single viewing never has changed. Not a fan of that name. It's too hard to pronounce. It's it's a little cringy, but I, I get it in the capacity of that. And I haven't read the comic book, and I'm sure it's sticking with what the comic book script is on it as well. That's fine. Uh, eventually, Scott has a dream about Ramona Flowers, this mysterious girl who he eventually meets at a party. And there are so many scenes in this, and I keep saying this, but there are so many scenes in this film that are just so good. One being that party that he attends telling Ramona, okay, I'll leave you alone forever now, uh, which is a famous quote I think a lot of people use. And uh, anytime Scott has any girl issue, his sister, Anna Kendrick, finds out immediately from his roommate, who is actually uh, his roommate, Wallace, who is a a Culkin, a Macaulay Culkin. It's not Macaulay, it's his brother. But um, I believe it's his brother. His name's like Cedric. I I saw a photo of it here. His name is Kieran. Kieran, uh, Kieran Culkin. Um, interesting last name, but, uh, there's this bit where, so yeah, so she, he says immediately, immediately finds out from Wallace 
And there's a, there's a scene like that where, you know, Wallace comes in and passes out as he's trying to tell him something. And then suddenly his sister calls and he's like, how'd you even find this out? Wallace, duh. And Wallace is like still sleeping, but now he has a cell phone in his hand. Like the, ugh, the editing is just mind blowing. Um, but every scene uh, after Scott wakes up from a dream, he's usually in the same bed as Wallace, along with other men that Wallace is dating at the time because Wallace is gay. And uh, that, even those scenes are so, so funny. There's one where I think three guys are in the bed with him. And he's like, he pops up and says something. The next person pops up and says something and it keeps going. And I just, I was dying. Uh, there's a great storytelling bit too in the movie where him and Knives are playing Dance Dance Revolution and absolutely killing it. They, they're working really good together as a team. But later when he meets Ramona and then starts getting feelings for her, he is playing DDR with Knives again, but isn't paying attention because he's thinking about Ramona. And so his score gets worse and the word bad, bad keeps popping up. Very cool storytelling device that comes into play at the end of the movie as well when he fights the final boss with knives. But it's also at this time that he's realizing or he's told at least that he needs to break up with her. And he's trying to after DDR is done, but the arcade is saying continue and then saying five, four, like doing a countdown. But the countdown is lining up with him needing to break up with knives. So just a great storytelling kind of strategy. Um, but then he runs away. He does not do it. He keeps running away from his problems. His band then finds out that they got a gig playing with Crash and the Boys. That one band with Crash and his boys, uh, which uh, Scott invites Ramona to. And Knives also shows up. So we get the classic, I've got two dates. And while they're playing, I was laughing my ass off because uh, the sister is talking to both of them like, so Knives, how did you meet Scott? And she goes, oh, well, and starts up. But then the, the band starts playing and she loses her mind. But it's just like, oh, man, they're going to, you know, he's Scott has a real problem. He's got two dates. Uh, but suddenly, while they're playing, a man named Matty Patel shows up to fight Scott and we get the first battle of the movie. There's something incredibly cool to having the shrimpy Michael Sarah beat up every person he fights super well too. Like he almost feels like an expert fighter without any of the training, but belief is immediately suspended due to the editing and animation in the movie around it clearly looking like a video game fight that includes him exploding into coins when Scott defeats him. And it's at this point that we find out that he has to defeat all of seven, all seven of Ramona's evil exes in order to date her. Very interesting. And what a cool plot line. I mean, literally the entire time I'm watching this movie, I was like, I feel like I've seen this film on some lists of like one of the best superhero movies or one of the best uh, video game movies. And again, I was like, but what is it? Is it a video game movie? Is it a superhero movie? That's where I like getting into that genre argument with people because, you know, oh, X, Y, and Z is just a dumb superhero movie. And it's like, you're, you're putting these things into boxes that you can't really get yourself out of. This is a perfect example because I don't know what kind of movie this is. If you, if you uh, put a gun to my head, I would probably say it's a video game movie, but it's got a ton of superhero elements in this film as well. After that, though, we get treated to an amazing Seinfeld edit of the movie, complete with a laugh track and intro music as he's walking back home. The I hope I did that right. But uh, he's then forced by Wallace to break up with knives, in which case he meets her at the music store they have hung out at. And he's trying to get the courage to say it while she's saying, I was thinking of having you over for dinner tonight with my parents. And he says, Chinese food? And I, I don't, that made me laugh too, just because I was like, God, like Scott, come on, dude. But then he breaks up with her. 
and um but it's super cringy just like literally everything else scott does it's very timid and shy uh and but then he's on another date with ramona and another great line comes up he says i feel like i'm on drugs when i'm with you but i've never actually done drugs unless you have then uh, i've done every drug I, i love drugs and uh but then we get to chris evans uh who is the next boyfriend in line for him to fight a movie star that Scott actually can't beat on his own. He he ends up defeating all of his uh, stunt doubles, which was so clever, but he can't beat him on his own. So he's he's like sitting by this rail and he says, hey, can you do a thingy off of that rail? And he says, you mean a grind? And he's like, yeah, do a grind thingy off of that rail. And he's like, you, I, I'm not going to do that right now. And he's like, oh, I don't know, man, there's girls watching. And he's like, but I guess, you know, if you're not that hardcore... And so he gets a skateboard and grinds down this very long rail and it's showing the edit, the uh, animation, there's a little, a little like speedometer there and it's showing him speeding up really, really fast. And when he gets to the bottom of the railing, he just ends up exploding on impact on the ground and and that's how Scott wins. And uh, it was just great. Scott, and that's when I noticed, I was like, okay, Scott is very smart at getting the bad guys to do other things besides fighting to win such as the vegan boyfriend we're going to get to as well. Uh, But we then get to see Brie Larson, who chews up her role as Scott's ex, Envy Adams. And what a perfect name for her. She's also in a band and a very successful band. At some point after, he calls his sister for help, to which she sort of already knows because of, you know, Wallace. But she's like, what did you do? And he says, I didn't do anything. It's everyone else that's crazy. Look, I'm having a meltdown or whatever. Are you still working? She says, I'm about to leave. He says, cool, I'm coming over. And again, Michael Sarah delivers these lines so much better than I do, but I just had to call these out as some of my favorites. Uh, it's a little after this time that we get to start getting deeper into a theme of this film, which is having the past come back to haunt you. Both Scott and Ramona have to deal with this in their own way in the form of their exes. Ramona and her seven, Scott and his two, Knives and Envy. Uh, Scott is telling this to Wallace and one of his boyfriends and says he is sick of his stupid ex-girlfriend. And the boyfriend says, is that the Uma Thurman movie? Uh, Envy then invites the band to perform with them and Scott freaks out over it like you've got to be kidding me that she would do this some secret show where they don't know like the 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 audience doesn't know that it's uh, Envy's band but they do know that it's their band and his friends like come on Scott a gig is a gig is a gig is a gig and he says why can't we have our own secret show and his his uh the other person in the band says all our shows are secret shows because they don't you know do shows Uh, But then Knives, uh, at this point too, Knives is freaking out about Ramona, who at this point has blue hair and she's super, super jealous. And so she's trying to dye her hair and she's screaming, I can't believe Ramona. And and she's with Scott and she has a head start. I didn't even know there was good music until like two months ago. And uh, I just... Brandon Routh's Vegan Todd, uh, who's with Envy Adams, is also incredible. Extra strong powers. He has telekinesis because he's vegan. Um, Punches the dye out of her hair, out of uh, Knives' hair. And the guy's like, and it was so funny as I was watching this because I was taking some notes on my phone. And when he did that, I I was putting down in my notes, I said, he just punched the hair coloring out of her hair. And the guy in the movie goes, you just punched the hair coloring out of her hair. I was like, oh man, dude, you're reading my mind. Or did I write your lines? Um, but it, but then Scott, he's like, okay, same thing. How do I defeat this guy that I can't defeat? So he, he ends up in a coffee shop 
And he's like, ah, I just made you two coffees. Would you want the one, the soy latte or the one with half and half? And he's like, I know you're trying to trick me into taking the half and half. I'm going to take this one instead. And he drinks it. And Scott goes, that's the one with half and half. And he's like, no, it's not. I, I read your mind. He goes, yeah, I, uh, I was thinking about it really hard in my mind's eye to put it in that drink, but I decided against it. And so at that point, um, it's actually really funny. What's the guy? I don't know the guy's name, but he played the Punisher in the original Punisher movie. His name's like Todd, Tim, um, oh man, I don't remember, but he comes in and he's like, we're the vegan police. We're taking your powers away because he's like, what, what? I thought it was a three strike rule. He's like, yeah, on this other time you had chicken and this other time, blah, 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 blah. This is your third strike. But, uh, what I realized though, and this is an even bigger takeaway is that my, my, one of my favorite lines, a line that I usually say, um, I've said it very often in terms of uh, like joking with my, my brother. Cause I, I think it always, at least for me, always makes him laugh. But I couldn't remember what movie it was from. I knew Michael Sarah said the line, but I was thinking it was from one of his other movies. But he goes, that's it, you cocky cock. And uh, that, li- that line just to me is so funny. Again, just the alliteration and, and using the same word twice, really well writing. But after he initially gets beat by Todd, uh, before his powers are taken away, um, he's thrown super high into the air and then he comes down smashing into a pile of trash. Ramona comes up to him and he says, uh, if I peed my pants, will you pretend I just got wet from the rain? And she says, it's not raining. And I just, he's such a wimp and I love it. Um, reminds me a lot of myself. Uh, then he fights Ramona's, uh, lesbian ex-girlfriend played by, and I, <laughs> I typed, uh, played by, you know, her from the duff. Uh, I don't remember her name, and I, I don't have I don't have the capacity to look it up right now. But uh, she was also great, um, awesome battle with weapons and great lines like "I'm by furious" and "Your BF is about to get effed in the B." Uh, next up, though, is the Katayangi is like the Katayangi twins uh, who fight a music battle with Scott, and eventually that music turns into two dragons. Scott and his band's music turns into a Yeti, and they fight, and obviously Scott's team wins. But it's at this point that Gideon has shown up, Gideon being a fantastic Jason Schwartzman, um, who is the final boss and also was Ramona's ex as well, and someone that um, Ramona immediately goes back to. She says, "I we have a past, like he's got this control over me. And it's it's basically a, kind of about, you know, that mental manipulation that certain exes have over, over their uh, partners. But um, the theme comes up again of not letting the past ruin the future as Scott decides to fight for Ramona one last time. He goes to the Chaos Theater where Gideon is, and when he's asked for the password, he says, whatever. And they go, okay. And they let him in. And then he's at a second spot and they say, second password. And he goes, ugh. And they go, cool. And let him in. And uh, eventually Gideon uh, who and, and Knives is eventually fighting Gideon. But Knives also shows up trying to fight Ramona for Scott because she blames Ramona for taking Scott from him, which is not true because Scott uh, he basically was cheating on each of them being with the other one. Uh, but he dies. And I purposely didn't mention it earlier, but he got a he got a one up a one life uh, at the prior concert, and uh, they try to make it so that it's like okay, you know, you didn't see him get it, but it's pretty obvious. So you're like, okay, at some point he's gonna die in this movie and 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 come back, but he dies. And while he's dead, though, he learns that, um, you know, he needs to stop kind of being the way that he is. He needs to tell people the truth. He needs to be honest with them, and he needs to have more self-respect. So he, he uses his life, starts back over at the beginning of that fight, 
busts up the people with the password, compliments his band. Uh, at first, he was kind of mad that they were there. Gideon offered them a job, a, a gig, basically. And he was like, I can't believe you're selling out. But then he was like, you know what? You guys are a good band together. And then he apologizes to Knives and Ramona saying, hey, sorry, like I was cheating on both of you. Um, that's on me, not you guys sort of thing. And at that point, he gets he gets points for being for the self-respect. And so he is able to defeat Gideon um, after that sort of thing. More talk about the past catching up with him. And even after he wins, he has to fight Nega Scott, who is a like basically like um, what is that bizarro Superman sort of thing. But he beats him just by talking with him. And that part was actually kind of funny. Um, but then at the end, the last little bit is him talking with knives and Ramona's kind of leaving. She's like, I can't, you know, I I don't think I need to be with anybody right now or or whatever. Like I've done too much damage. And he's like sitting there kind of talking with knives and knives is like, go after her. Like you clearly want her. And so he decides to try again and goes up to Ramona and they walk off together holding hands, I think, but they definitely walk off together and the movie ends. So uh, hopefully those of you listening have seen this movie and are listening to me retell it laughing at how badly I'm doing it. But if you haven't seen this film, please check it out. I did not mention it up at the top, but it is streaming on Netflix. So it is available to stream if you have Netflix. It truly is a popcorn classic. And I can't believe, and that's a shout out, I'm gonna have to say that's a shout out to um, on cinema at the cinema popcorn club. I'm not trying to be on cinema unless, of course, Greg Turkington wants to come on the show. I will give you your day in the sun, Greg. You can talk about whatever movie you want. If that's Oh God, that's fine. I'll do it. I love that movie. Uh, but if you haven't seen this film again, check it out. Um, I can't believe 10 years has already passed on this movie. I wish I had seen it in theaters when it came out, but I think getting to see it at Red, at the Red Rocks in Morrison, Colorado was a much better deal. I love this movie because of the story, the actors, and Edgar Wright. He has a way with crafting fast-paced and well-edited films with great music and dialogue. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is no different in that regard and is slowly becoming one of my favorite films of his. So, as we wrap up this episode, anyone interested can find me on Twitter or Instagram at a robots wink. That's a robots wink. And until then, for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you at the movies. <laughs>